Bonjour and welcome back to French Football Weekly, the podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Chris. Uh, you can find me lurking in all sorts of places on social media, but that's not why you've tuned in. So please drop the charges. I am joined tonight by two of my fellow French fans. Uh, they are, first of all, good evening to Phil. Hello, Phil. Hello. And good evening to Jez. Hello, Jez. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Uh, not rich. I'm just going to write post-its all over my screen. This is not rich. Uh, rich is actually not with us this evening. Um, he's been a little tied up, so it's the uh, the fabulous three. Uh, first of all, um, it's a little bit late for New Year's and all that jazz, but I haven't been on the pod uh, since sort of pre-Christmas break. So um, thank you all to listeners, new and old, for tuning back in. Uh, it's a pleasure to be in your ear in 2018. Right. Um, we're going to kind of freeform the show a little bit tonight because there's so much that's going on currently that's gone on in the last week. There's managers, there's transfers, there's games, lots of stuff is going on. So we're kind of just going to freeform our way through a little bit. Um, however, uh, there's one game, of course, that, uh, that stands out above all others from the weekend. So we're going to get to that in a second. Before we do, I shall just read out the other results from the weekend in case you've missed them. So the opening week game of, of the weekend's action on Friday saw Olympic de Marseille pick up a 2-0 victory over Caen, uh, away from home, Dimitri Payet and Florian Tovan. Who else uh, with the goals there? Uh, Nantes losing at home to Bordeaux in a game that uh, did not save the Bordeaux manager's uh, reign, or the reigns, I should say, um, which we'll come on to a little bit uh, a little bit later on. Nicolas de Preville finally finding his shooting boots to beat off Ranieri's mem. Omian with another impressive performance. They downed Gangon by three goals to one. Kunate with two and Bodmer with a late third. Uh, Coco with one back for Gangon, which is always nice because I'm quite a big fan of Coco. Uh, Toulouse losing again, sadly. The drink or the player? Uh, both. I'm glad you said drink then, Jez. That could have gone horribly, horribly wrong. Um, <laughs> but yes, to lose, lose. Um, it writes itself, doesn't it, the headline, sadly. Uh, and that will be the end of another manager again. We shall come on to. But Phil's happy because Montpellier's 90th minute, Giovanni Sio winner. 95th minute. 95th. Last kick of the game, wasn't it? Yeah, kind of back inadvertent whatever yeah it was and the Thing. poor guy tried to do sujud afterwards as a as a celebration and just basically ended up under a pile of players so uh, yeah that was that was nice sounds a lot like Didn't, me in the dressing room on a sunday morning but still i think Toulouse last week equalized with the 95th minute last week of the game <laughs> so it sort of right. evens itself out a bit what goes well, around not around. so much i suppose <laughs> <laughs> yeah true that um, and uh, moving on to the next game, we saw Rennes beat uh, Angers. I'm sure, I'm sure Rich was quite pleased with that. Prince Oniange was sent off for Angers and Bourigar with the 84th minute penalty winner. Sickening after holding on since the 40th minute for 10 men. But uh, the winners were Rennes and the winners in Strasbourg were indeed the home side as well as they beat Dijon. <coughs> Uh, Alou and Ka- and uh, Lala with two penalties in one game. That's quite rare these days. Julio Tavares and uh, Haddadi had pulled it back to 2-2 at that point before uh, Lala's second penalty in the 79th minute, getting the three points. Strasbourg's pitch was an absolute disaster. Did you see any of it? It looked like a ploughed field <laughs> with possibly sheep in some of the ruts. I mean, it was... <laughs> You never know, they could have been. Yeah. Every chance. One of those things, it wasn't a swift passing game, put it that way. No, no, certainly not on, on said surface. No, I agree with that. Uh, we also saw Trois beat Lille, uh, probably a little bit. We'll touch on Lille if we get a chance a little bit later on. Uh, Nian with the winning goal there, just a minute before half time. Uh, nice also winning on the Sunday games, beating St Etienne by one goal to nil. Willard Cyprien with a, a beautiful free kick, uh, which Mario Balotelli very kindly let him hit. It's always nice of him, isn't it? Uh, Monaco also with a 3 1 victory. Closure is now Chess uh, over Mets. Uh, they did put up a decent fight, Mets, but ultimately uh, Monaco too strong. George Gazal and Ronnie Lopez with the winning goals, and uh, Kawashina's sending off uh, for Mets probably didn't help. Um, but a 3 1 victory for the home side. And that, of course, leaves us with the biggest game of the weekend. Some would say the biggest game in France. I it's hard to argue, but I'm sure some people will. However, uh, Jez... I, know, I know one club's fans will argue. Yeah, don't, um, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> Poking the bear. Jez, what did you make 
of uh, Olympic Lyonnais to Paris Saint-Germain 1 or uh, Qatar Saint-Germain as uh, Jean-Michel Olas um, rather cleverly names them. A um, little bit crazy, really good game of football, three fabulous goals and Danny Alves. Uh, what did you make? It was, it was a fantastic match. Um, it makes me think of the, the Nick Hornby thing in Fever Pitch where he sort of puts together all the ingredients that, that make a, a great match. It didn't quite have the 22-man brawl or the terrible weather that leads to sort of 20-yard sliding tackles, but it had most of the rest of it, three superb goals, um, dodgy defending, uh, arguments with the ref, arguing with each other, red card, um, nasty injury, which thank God isn't too nasty, but adds to the sort of intrigue and excitement on the night. It was, it was, I hate using this phrase as well, but it was a great advert for, for League Out football. Um, you know, two very good teams with some very good players in them. Um, really putting on a show yeah no I, I know what you mean it's, it's that one of those awful football phrases but it's one that you could kind of it is the only one you can use in, in this circumstance um we'd sort of break down the game a little bit Phil it was a, a brilliant start for, for Leon Nabil Fakir uh doing what he's done all this season he's in sparkling form uh delicious free kick good 35 yards catching Areola out kind of near post I think the keeper yeah. look a little little bit suspect I think it's fair to say but magical free kick and he said after the game that he was going to cross it but he saw Ariola's position and, and just went for it and, and boy did he catch it yeah I think that's that's fair I mean a lot of people on on social media just basically going where the fuck was Ariola on that one and obviously it's a difficult situation to be in but he was out of position and figure did take a uh, great advantage. I think that was, uh, I saw an Optus stat. That's the earliest goal that PS in minutes terms that PSG have conceded this year. Um, and obviously that was, was that like in, just in the first, le- second minute. Was that in the league? Didn't Celtic score quite early against them? Uh, I cannot remember the exact tweet. I am still jet lagged. Uh, but I think it, I mean, it's, they made that, it was like every goal came in a sense outside the normal run of play. Cause there was that then obviously, cause I was equalizer, which was another fabulous hit. I don't quite know how he actually did that, but it was amazing. Um, was in injury time in the first half. And then obviously the winner was in injury time in the second half. It was like, they were waiting for the money, the money time uh, to, to, to score these wonderful goals. So that was, uh, that was, you know, added to the spectacle as it were, um, because yeah, it's like when you were watching after uh, OL had scored that early and they were getting towards halftime, you thought, Oh, they're going to do it. And then PSG came back with that amazing kind of volleyed, down off the bar and kind of just behind the goal line uh, strike from Kazawa. That was brilliant because obviously Lyon's, uh, their heads could have dropped then uh, at half time, having just been kind of snuffed out, as it were, having their, their lead uh, taken away from them. But they kept at it and uh, obviously it finished with an amazing strike from uh, from Depay in the 94th minute. And I was just watching that celebration thinking, he's just scored a goal that good. How can he not manage to take his shirt off efficiently? I mean, <laughs> do you see the struggles he was having with that? That was He ended up obviously taking the shirt off and getting booked, obviously. But uh, it did seem to take a long time. But one thing that really interested me was looking at the stats, as I do, um, it was like, 38, 62% possession for home side, Leon, 38% possession, 11 to 11 shots equal, given the amount of possession, Leon were really going for it, and it was 6-3 on target, so Leon just really both went for that and did it really efficiently, and that was, um, uh, you know, a kind of the the key to the match and my other notes just mainly read Ndombele oh <laughs> yes absolutely fantastic um we uh, yeah we should come on to him in a minute and Hassan Mawar as well but um I just just on the um 
on that on those stats and the possession and the chances there are a lot of um psg fans kind of saying we were robbed we deserved at least a draw because we were totally in control and yeah i guess in terms of possession they were but I mean, I can't. I can't mm. really think of Lopez making a save apart from 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 Morel yeah. diving header. <laughs> His own player. That was a hell of a save. It was a hell of a diving header. Um, so yeah, that was a what that could really have been an unfortunate moment. But uh, they did that. And I think obviously Mbappe went off injured after that um, collision with Lopez, but he'd already been. Um, uh, kind of wiped a bit in the pre. Who was that with? Where he ended up with Vaseline all over the back of his head and blood everywhere. Um, um, Mbappe and uh, Marcelo. Marcelo. Yeah. No, it was Aruwa, I think. Yeah. But, yeah so so the two, right, yes. the two of them had crashed into each other further yeah. up the pitch, and he was already uh, in quite a state. And then obviously the collision with Lopez was a nasty collision, but it wasn't, to me, a nasty tackle. There's been lots of people showing different, you know, photo angles and whatever. This was not, you know, um, what's his name, Batiste on wiping out whoever it was. It was, two, yeah, it was two guys looking at the ball and then realising they just smashed into each other, I think. Mm. Um, so it's good to hear that it's not serious, obviously, because we don't want to see anybody, anybody hurt, but I mean, that was, in a sense, that set up a, a sort of the the feeling for a lot of the match. It was quite a robust encounter, mm. uh, I think we'd say, which obviously the Dani Alves thing uh, played into that quite a lot. But how Verratti only ended up with one yellow card. I think he got booked eventually, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, he did in the end, yeah. Whoa, that should have been earlier. Um mm. Yeah, and he, and I he think was he was he was struggling and therefore kicking quite a bit in midfield. I think PSG do at times really remind me of that sort of Man United Roy Keane era where they seem to get away every week with five or six players surrounding the ref, pretty much um body checking him. And you know, although Alves got, got done this time and unbelievably is um still sort of sending messages saying what a disgrace it was that he was that he was um, sent off. Um, I mean, it had happened, I think, two or three times before that. It happened after, as you said. I mean, Verratti should have been booked earlier. Verratti should have been sent off just on that incident. I thought what he did was was worse than Alves. I mean, he literally, I think, he you know touched chests with the referee and knocked the card out of his hand. And I thought, um, in general, I think um, the ref had a good game. Yeah. Chopin, I think, is a good is a good ref, and he, I think, stays calm where a lot of others might not. And my interpretation, <laughs> of... my interpretation of that Verratti thing was he assumed that Verratti had not intentionally bumped into him; that it had been, uh, in a sense, a mistake. Whereas Alves was up in his face and genuinely meant that. So I think you're probably right, but I think that's quite generous. <laughs> I think possibly it is generous, but it's also possibly a real politic approach to refereeing in Ligue 1, where if you, you know, um, did everybody for everything, there'd be three people left on the pitch sometimes. So oh yeah, I'm, I'm in general, I think it's you know there is a lot there are a lot of tweets saying that if it had been Chapron who took out the non-player last week, <laughs> I was yeah, just going to say that he, he just... may well have headbutted Alves or something. That that was my only. Disappointment that he didn't sort of high kick Danny Alves across the pitch and sort of take him out at high high level or you know no no Turpan to me looks like you know the guy in charge of the IT team who just looks at you witheringly when your computer doesn't work and asks you if you've tried turning it off and turning it on again. He's got that kind of management style about him, which I think is possibly a good thing to have in some of the big games where you don't want things kicking off in a big way. When I thought he was very good. Yeah. If anything, I think probably, not that his decisions favoured PSG, but Rabiot as well, I think, could have been booked two or three times in the first half, which would have mm. hampered the midfield against and, um, and it was all, Dombele even more. So. And it was all Leon's pressing, I felt, that really stood out as what forced PSG <laughs> into... I mean, we should we should uh, address, probably a good time now, actually, just to address the, um, the Neymar-shaped elephant in the room. Um, 
I mean, he obviously didn't make this game due to injury. I'm doing that air quotes thing. Um, <laughs> suspicion. I, think I of, thought Mo Ali was like he's out with hurt feelings. Yeah, like. or with a glove on his head. Yeah. Um, I think it's fair to say he picks and chooses his games. When you're on that amount of money and you sign for a club in the way he did, maybe you can afford to do that. He's been. But then you think this would be one well. game you'd pick. You know, yeah. he'd want to not play against with respect, Jess. Mets or Angers or you know a team that maybe he's not heard of. You'd want Dijon, to play in the, in the classic. You want to play in the Olympic. You want to play in these big games. Mm. So that was the weirdest part, wasn't it? It's like, why would you not pick this game to play in? But mm-hmm. nevertheless, um, he's, he's making he's making some fluttery eyelids at, at Real Madrid as well. I it has a it has a little bit of a whiff of. Um, of ending in tears, Jess, doesn't it? This whole situation. I mean... <laughs> I, th- I think however much... Uh, the bottom line is Neymar is a fantastic footballer. Oh, when yeah. when he's when he's on the pitch Sorry. and feels like playing, like he did against Dijon, he's just absolutely brilliant and you know, very hard for anyone in the world to sort of to keep up with him. Mm. Um, but, I, you know, however much PSG tried to deny it, however much... And I know you... Chris, you agree with me in terms of his playing ability um, with Cavani, yeah. but to be fair, I think he he's acted extremely well throughout the season um, in terms of looking like he's doing the right thing. You know, he, there was that whole thing with the penalty against Dijon. He needed one more goal to to break the PSG record. Neymar already had a hat trick, and you know they caught um, Cavani saying to Neymar, "Go on, you take the penalty." I don't think Cavani was ever going to take that penalty, and I think a lot of it is, is PR on his part. Whatever anyone says, there clearly are issues there. There's clearly issues in the changing room, um, whether it's about um, money or sort of Brazilian cliques or whatever it is. Um, and they, you know, they generally seem. Neymar made and even if it's not him acting like a spot brat on the pitch um, you know the fact that he's on such a ridiculous salary the fact that he seems to be um, allowed to get away with things that no other player would is inevitably going to cause tension and uh, yeah I don't know about ending in tears but I don't think I don't think it's particularly good for PSG's team spirit no no it doesn't it doesn't promote that and um yeah i mean i say we're not going to talk psg forever but i thought it was worth mentioning but we we should give some praise to the winning side obviously in in ol and um sort of where it it's where it make where it stands i think we all agree psg gonna win the league you know, can i just add, add quickly on um on fakir we mentioned earlier i keep getting lots of stick from certain other sets of fans when i suggest that certain teams and certain players within those teams are slight flat track bullies um, Fekir has now scored three kicks against Monaco, Marseille and PSG this season. That's a match winner and that's a player who steps up in the big matches. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He really has, hasn't he? He really has sort of stood up in those big games and seems to be dragging them through and much in the way that Lacazette was the main man last year. It looks like Fakir will be hot property this summer, particularly if he goes to the World Cup. And that's quite a nice segue actually to Ndombele. Phil, uh, so what do you make of this young talent? I mean, he signed from uh, Omian, I believe, wasn't it, in, in pre-season. Um, he's come into the side. He made his name, he ma- I think he made his name for himself on his debut. Is it Monaco he came on? I think it was Monaco. Um, has just grown and grown and grown and, and looks like a player who may even force his way into Deschamps' thoughts potentially. I mean, is, is that going too far? Because this performance was monstrous. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of players in certain positions that Didi's obviously going to be considering and we all know that he has his favourites. I think this was a wonderful performance It and it was a smart performance. He had Verratti running around, getting petulant, kicking out and was just dealing with it and it was um, a managerial performance almost which given the guys how old is he 22 i mean that's a a level of maturity and uh intelligence in the game that was really impressive and yes he's a big guy and he can hold obviously marco verratti off which was again 
not helping Ferrati's blood pressure or aggravation levels. But it was uh, the way he was doing it. He was being very um, incisive with the passing, um, but he was being also very solid and intelligent in where he was putting himself and that was a really really impressive performance i mean they had fekir tusa and de Bele as the midfield um which in a sense corney on the right was a little bit out of things the right side was a little bit out of things in total really you're looking at the marcelo and morel and central defense really actually putting things together. Tarek Amir wrote earlier in the season about how the defence was struggling a bit but had got a lot better and I think we saw kind of the peak of this in that game uh, apart from the near own goal situation. But Fulamendi I thought also was very good. Obviously you've got a big defensive job to do when you're playing PSG but he was also kind of coming forward and, and putting himself about a bit as well. So they they all seem to just work really well together, which was uh, which was the key thing to, as you say, the high press pushing PSG back and even on only you know less than forty percent possession, actually making something of that when they had it. Mm. Yeah, I think you look at you got Mendy at left back. You've got the three in midfield. Um, Fekir a bit further up. Terrier looks like he's going to come in as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that, that I certainly doubt they'll all be at Lyon next year. But, you know, that's in two, three, four years' time, that could be half of France's starting lineup. I was thinking that, watching it, yeah. Yeah, the the, the link-up between the three sort of thing, it just playing well together. And like you said, it's keeping them together, isn't it? That's that's the going to be the biggest challenge. I, I mean, I... I I'd be shocked if Fekir is still there next season, but I don't see what I think the other three, the others should all be staying unless they get monumental offers. Mm. But and Don Bailey the other day, I thought, I mean, he was like, I really thought it was a performance that was kind of Pogba at his best when mm. it looks like there's just no one else on the pitch that can touch him. And every time he got the ball, it looked like it was going to be some kind of 20, 30, 40 yard run. Um, you know, ready, unle- un- ready to unleash a powerful shot. He didn't have anything like he did last time against PSG when he hit the bar, but just everything he was doing was coming off. And, you know, although he was so young, he just looked like a giant on the pitch. And if he can keep that attitude, um, I've said before, you know, as, as fantastic as Pogba is, I don't always trust him to turn up. I do think sometimes mm. it's more important to have nice shaving in his hair and um, a nice little pirouette that can go on YouTube after the match rather than, you know, play a full 90 minutes. Um, I think, he, you know, the fact he's doing it more at United now and hopefully they'll transfer to, to France as well. But um, And Dombele seems to be doing it most weeks um, and he just, he just looks fantastic. Mm. Can I just... But we do have uh, Coupe de France games happening at the moment. We do, and yes. You may have heard some kind of binging noises in the background as my goal alert from Foot National goes off. I just want to say Granville are through. Hey. They've beaten Concano 3-2 in extra time. Um, they nearly won it uh, at the death, had a goal refused for offside. Blondell with two goals in extra time. Granville from the fourth tier are through um, to the next round, having beaten National side Concano 3-2. So that is a lovely piece of news for the Magie de la Coupe, uh, which we are, of course, covering at the moment in a kind of slightly frantic and random sense. But we're trying to preview all of the games. We'll have more previews out, obviously, on Wednesday, when you listen to this, they will probably be up. So that is wonderful. We've also had Auxerre of Ligue 2 beating Nantes 4-3 in what sounds like a distinctly uncharacteristic game uh, for Nantes. Uh, Ligue 2 is Borg Paranas beating uh, Beliga Toulouse 2-0. And there's a couple of other 
couple of other games. Two going to uh, penalties. We've got uh, Chateau Chambly going to penalties and fifth tier Canet Roussillon taking Ligue 1's con to penalties uh, at this stage. So uh, that is also uh, a wonderful, um, wonderful uh, piece of cup magic. And we'll see how those pan out. Absolutely, yeah. Who said uh, who said the FA Cup's the only cup in in Europe worth watching? Um, okay, so I think we we've kind of covered most of um, Leon and, and PSG. So, um, Jez, should we talk about some managers um, who have walked the plank this week? Uh, would you like to talk Bordeaux? Or would you like to talk to Lose? Uh, I'd like to give, talk both. Giving you a choice. <laughs> I'll go Bordeaux. <laughs> Um, okay so yeah. for those people living under a rock what's gone on who's gone who's come in and what do you make of it all okay so 2018 didn't start brilliantly for uh Gormanek because Bordeaux got knocked out by said Granville in the um Coupe de France I think they then recovered with a win possibly against Caen Mm. I'm speaking slowly so I can have a look. Um, so it looked like, you know, maybe the the, the break has done them some good. Um, Paul Base came in, looked fantastic at centre-back. It meant that Toulon could move to his normal position in defensive midfield, and he had a good game as well. It looked like those two two moves kind of put together were, you know, going to change things. But then they um, fell back into their bad ways and lost the next match. I oh, know they sorry that they beat Qua and then they, they lost to Qua yeah. yeah so yeah basically I think that was that was the last straw for Gorvenek and and sadly he was got rid of um, interestingly then they beat Nantes um, I think before Poyet had been announced possibly around the same time but yep. certainly before Poyet had done anything mm-hmm. um, there was a, a kind of a couple of well there's the most ironic thing was it, it was De Preville who scored. Um, De Preville is the, the, the player that Gourvenet made a big big fuss about wanting to sign in the summer, which at the time seemed a perfectly sensible move because he, he's been excellent the last couple of years for Lille. Um, he's only scored, he had only scored one goal all season and you know that probably was quite a big factor, um, both the fact that his lack of goals meant bad results and also the fact that Gourvenet very much sort of hung his hat on De Preville. So he was probably a big factor in Gourvenet going. His lack of form was a factor in him going. So it was ironic that he scored the goal, the winning goal against Nantes. And also it was quite an interesting interview with um, goalkeeper Benoit Costil after the match. And he said, you know, it's actually really, said gênant, but you can translate it as kind of embarrassing or awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, winning a match straight after a manager has been sacked. So I thought that was, I don't know, I thought that was quite interesting or telling that, you know, the, the players are very aware of that kind of thing and not feeling particularly comfortable about it. Obviously, mm. Toulalon, who also sort of very much associated his time in Bordeaux with the fact that Gourvenet was there, um, basically arranged for his, his contract to be terminated. Mm after Gourvenet left. Anyway, then to, I think, everyone's surprise, it certainly wasn't a name that was touted. Everyone thought it was going to be the former Belgian goalkeeper, Poudon. Um, Poyet, Gus Poyet, was, was announced as the, uh, as the new Bordeaux manager. Um, it's an interesting choice because, um, first of all, he has got sort of previous in France because he started his career with Grenoble playing in the same team as Djorka which must have been quite a fun a fun team to watch um, as a manager you can probably kind of split it into two halves pre-Pugate and post-Pugate um, <laughs> um, oh, I wondered if that would come up literally <laughs> for those who don't know what that means basically he was he was Brighton manager. I think he, he was kind of places like Swindon beforehand, but at Brighton he, he's really made his mark and um, got them up. I think two divisions, playing some one division, playing uh, really nice football, um, and then he, he got them to got us to the, the playoffs where we lost Crystal Palace, um, and 
I mean, it was a huge disappointment. I think we finished third, maybe fourth that year, but we were the form team. We should really have beaten them. Um, the poo gate was just a reference to the fact that in the Crystal Palace changing room, when they arrived, there was a poo waiting for them. And there were lots of rumours that it may even have been Poyet. Apparently, it turned out that it was the Palace coach driver. So there you go. As you anyway, um, not long after that match, although Poyet was obviously doing very well he was fired for some kind of um i don't know i don't know if anything was proven or anything because i think he was going to take it to a tribunal but for gross misconduct long story short he um had been making noises for a while that he was too big for brighton and apparently just before the second leg basically told the players in the changing room that um he's probably not going to stay, which wasn't the greatest motivation literally just before um, you know, the, the biggest match in most of those players and the Brighton as a club's um, career. So um, Brighton have got sort of very mixed feelings about him because he did sort of get them on their way to where they are now and did it playing some very nice football. But he's a spectacularly big ego and at the end, it really was more about him than about the club. Um, and it, it, was, it left quite a bad feeling. And probably it's all been borne out since then. I, I think since then he's gone to Sunderland, to um, Spain, to China, to is it? Yeah. And basically he's been very unsuccessful wherever he's gone. So there's certainly a, a capable, talented manager there, but it seems a very strange, very risky choice from Bordeaux because he needs to kind of reverse something that's sort of snowballing very quickly downhill um, in order to to sort of turn his career around and turn Bordeaux's current form around. Mm, yeah, it's, it's definitely one that, as you say, I don't think anyone really saw coming and uh, Bordeaux still have a bit of a uh, bit of a task ahead of them to keep certainly uh, one of the better players in Malcolm this transfer window. It seems like they're winning that battle, but we shall see if anything comes of that. Um, that leaves you with Toulouse, Phil. Um, mm-hmm. Pascal Duprat gone. Um, everyone will remember. Well, I say everyone. Most people remember that, that video. Well, yes. yeah, that motivational speech I mean that Mm. and that's what he brought and I think that's what a lot of uh, the Toulouse fans are saying is that he was the right person to come in when he came in because they needed a massive kick up the arse and just to get themselves together but he's not a tactician and there was uh, a tweet which I'm sure many many of you have seen from David Wall of Opta um, Dupraz with Toulouse in his 19 his first 19 matches, 10 wins. His last 51 matches, 10 wins. That's not good. I mean, he came in and he did what was necessary basically by force of character to keep them up um, in that season, kind of two seasons ago, but didn't seem to have the necessary to actually build on what is a decent group of players and actually get them um you know moving along and you know they were at Montpellier at the weekend they opened the scoring which you must have thought was you know <laughs> very useful thing to do but then conceded just before half time had Max Gradle sent off and then conceded a 95th minute goal to Sio which meant that instead of coming away with the three points that they'd held on for, for for a while, they came away with nothing. That seemed that was the nail in the coffin, basically. He didn't have the ability to recover from that position uh, to do anything about it. Who takes over there? God only knows, because they are in a very bad uh, position. And who is there kicking around at the moment? Um, I, I quite like Rich's suggestion of Gouvenek. Gouvenek, yeah. I don't but know if would, he'll want would, that. Would he dive around, but... back into the cauldron that fast? I mean, you That's give the man thing. a couple couple of months off to just have a sit down and a think. I mean, it's, awesome. it, that, that would seem 
that would seem like a good idea, but only if he was ready to, you know, cave his uh, sort of sense of calm and centeredness um, completely into the, into touch. I wonder what Owen Coyle's up to at the moment. Well, um, seriously, give it to Phil Neville. Oh God, that's, that's not open that box for goodness sake. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I think it's um, it's two managerial changes that that have sort of illuminated. Um, we we should say two uh, just very brief words for both uh, two other clubs that are struggling massively at the moment, St Etienne and Lille. Um, either of you got anything you want to sort of touch on with these two sides? I mean, both in really sticky spells. I mean, Lille, the project there is just. I mean, it's it's in tatters, isn't it? Oh. It's- Sintetti and I was about to say still don't know what's happening there. They don't know what's happening there. The fans don't know what's happening there. I've got nothing. It's like it's a weird situation. They need maybe somebody to come in and sort that out. They were before the break we were sort of joking about how teams like Saint-Étienne and Bordeaux, um, if you look at their recent results, it's sort of a sea of red apart from one oasis of green where they both, yeah, play, they both beat met. they beat Toulouse. <laughs> no, Saint-Étienne um, beat Toulouse. You beat them. Uh, yeah, three we smashed them. Yeah. And, you know, it is a resurgent mess, but still it was, it was, it probably should have been a lot more. Mm. And um, they, they don't look in a good way. Um, I don't. I, I don't know if it's some kind of reverse Samson effect because I saw Roma Hamuna's new hairstyle the other day, and he really needs a haircut. But um, <laughs> I, I think it's probably a little more than that. And then, yeah, I mean, Gasse's a you know an old, experienced head, um, but he's not Christophe Gautier. I think Lille will be fine because I think Gautier is a very good coach, and he'll get he'll get what he needs out of the team. I'm not sure Gasse will. Um, they may well survive just because there'll be two and a half, three teams worse than them, but they're not looking good at all. No. And Dion, Dionne looks like he's on his way out, at least mm. on loan, That's which bizarre. is a bit like the Creville. It's just a real pity because he was he so good last well year. But... Um, no. It, no, but Bristol it was, City? I mean, really? It, no, I mean, he, the level, the the level difference was possibly too much. But Saint-Étienne are a basket case at the moment. So it's like you'd have to be an extremely strong character with a lot of stuff about you to, to succeed there. Maybe, I, you know, he was at Dijon, so it's, it is a step down. But I'm sure he will do very well at Bristol City. Mm. Um, and that might be what it takes to you know get his um confidence back up and running and and you know move up from there but i think i thought that the move to saint-etienne could be very interesting because obviously they hadn't had a massively kind of striker-led approach and so him slotting in there seemed like it would be a good idea with garcia in charge it looked like it was you know that would be kind of happening. It would Gracia, Gracia, yeah, I'm right. Gracia, yeah, Gracia. Yeah, I think it's Gracia. Um, Gracia is um, Watford. Yeah. Oh, of course it is. I yes, was listening Malaga. to other stuff. It was Gracia who who moved on, but it just it never clicked because everything seemed to be so so kind of bad wo- badly worked out. So. You know, if he goes somewhere else, um, gets a taste of a new league, gets back to scoring ways, he's a mm. really good player. So I hope he, I hope he does very well there. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, to say it's two clubs that, um, in terms of St Etienne and uh, and Lille, going the opposite way. Uh, we did just want to have a, a very brief mention of a resurgent uh, Nice side, though. Jez, did you want to just mention them because? Uh, things have really turned around from where they were um, previously, sort of under uh, under the the, the guidership of um, oh, the gaffer whose name's completely escaped, escaped my blooming memory. Favre. Thank you, Lucien Favre. Goodness me, you can stare at a name for so long and it goes out of your head. Um, a resurgent Favre, Balotelli, 
uh, I think it's the most goals he scored for anyone in the season. Cyprian really finding his form since the injury. Things are looking up, despite uh, the fact they've let one of their better talents go this week, rather surprisingly. Schneider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, uh, yeah, I think probably the best uh, left, or the, the less said about Wesley Schneider, probably the better. <laughs> Um, but um, Cosiello d- departing for Cologne. But I mean, what do you what do you make of Nice and overall? I mean, they are they are resurgent. But is this a surprise to you? Um, it's not entirely a surprise because they had a very poor start to the season, which um, bore no reflection to to the quality of the team they've got. I'm just looking at their stats. I actually was surprised. It, I'm surprised it's that good. The, um, their last three defeats have all been in the in the cup. So Coupe de Ligue to Monaco, um, Coupe de France to Toulouse, which was a bit of a surprise, and then Europa League. Um, apart from that, their last defeat was the the one at the end of November against against uh, Lyon. Um, so I mean that that's a hell of a, a long time to go um, unbeaten, and they they were creeping up the table. Before before Christmas, um, since Christmas, um, it hasn't been the the most difficult um, set of fixtures for them. In that they they've had Amiens Saint Etienne at home, so they, they've won both of them. Only one nil actually, but um, two all at Monaco is a very good result. And the fact that Nantes have, have dropped a bit of form really has sort of um, sort of opened the door to them. Um, climbing into into possibly European places, um, they're they're level on points now with with not you know miles behind the top four, twelve points behind the top four, but um, you know right up there now. And I think it's what you'd expect. You've got Seri who's now over the whole Barcelona thing and gradually getting back to to his best form. Um, Cyprian's come back and it was just fantastic to see him put that free kick away. Um, you know, really mark his his return after the tough time that he's had. Um, Balotelli, as you said, I feel in a way I feel sorry for him because it's a bit like when he's just keeping his head down, keeping quiet, and being a very good centre forward, he gets very few headlines. Um, people are only really interested if he's getting sent off or doing something stupid. But he really has a, had a very good season, including away from home, which which isn't necessarily his strong point usually. Um, They've still got a few problems, I think, at the back. They're still neither keeper is particularly impressed. So it's not all perfect there. Um, as you said, Cosiello's gone, which was a bit of a pity because he's, he's a favourite of all of ours. But um, he wasn't getting too much game time, so possibly it's the best for him. Um, but yeah, I think they're they're not quite at the form that they were you know, early last season. But they're they're on their way there, and they're probably in a you know, I think top five is certainly where, where you'd expect them to be, considering the the potential that they have, um, mm. that their players have, and the, the the way that we've seen them play in the past. Yeah, yeah, certainly what you expect given given recent recent times, absolutely. But yeah, resurgence, and uh, I say we will sort of find some time to focus on that race for probably the space behind PSG in in the coming weeks. Um, just before we take a couple of questions um, to sort of wrap up, I want to just um, I don't want to go into too much detail on transfers because there's so much going on, but just a, a few tidbits really for for some listeners that might find this of interest. Lasana Diara appears to have completed his move to PSG to. I think we all knew that was coming. Um, Phil, let me chuck uh, two names at you and, and you can just give me your thoughts on whether you see these two disappearing or or where maybe where to. Lucas Moura um, and Javier Pastore, both of Paris Saint-Germain. Um, it seemed like they were all set to both go and now they're still here and we've got 10 days to go. Do you see them well, both disappearing? I think Moura, there seems to be more noise about him wanting to go. Um, which would seem reasonable, given that there's a hell of a lot of competition up there. Um, Pastorius, I think we've discussed in the past, he has to know that he's not the most robust individual in the world, um, and therefore maybe staying at a club where he is loved and where he gets such, uh, such a reception every time he does run on 
as we saw actually at the um, maybe at the weekend um he seems perhaps more comfortable staying i think of the the two more definitely looks like the one you you think would move simply because he's not gonna get in the in the in the team i don't think not he wants to go either but clearly yeah. he's not wanted yeah and maybe he, it's not him but his agent is taking a practical view of things but you know oh yes they're fighting on four fronts at the moment but they do have a lot of people available so you know he he's a substitute until anything changes so would you switch that for something else i don't know Mm. yeah it's an interesting one uh clement grenier is another one that appears to be interesting a few teams he could could also be moving on sadly but the other only other two i wanted to give you jez um in in terms of sort of french talent uh, or a player that's played in france just as sort of an outsider we do get quite a lot of english listeners i'm sure um olivier Giroud appears to be um interesting brochure dortmund uh, potentially. Now, obviously, he kind of needs to play given his World Cup ambitions. And uh, it would seem that that deal could be part of uh, something that could bring Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang uh, to the Premier League. Um, he, of course, was a player that you would have seen a bit at St Etienne. Is that a deal you see happening? And, and especially for Giroud, do you see that being a good deal ahead of the World Cup plans for him? From the um, Aubameyang to Arsenal side of things, it and there's so many rumours, it definitely sounds like that there's some kind of substance to it. And, you know, there's certainly no doubt that Havana Young seems to have burnt all his bridges with, with Dortmund. Mm-hmm. So I think wherever it is, he has to go somewhere. But um, in terms of Giroud, I mean, yeah, for in order to, to be sure of getting his World Cup place, I think he has to move because clearly he's being pushed further and further down the pecking order at Arsenal. I know he's injured at the moment, but by the way, just again, as, as an outsider, I don't know what your feelings on it, but um, well, he's t- he's tied with Solskjaer for, I think, that the most ever number of Premier League goals as a substitute. Mm. And yeah. even this season, the number of times he seems to come off the bench to save you. Um, mm. And I don't think it's any coincidence that you've slipped further down while he's been out. Um, I really... I know that he's got certain limits as a footballer, but I really think he's so underappreciated by a lot of your fans. Completely you agree. He is not just a target, Matt. Look no. at yeah. the goal that basically won Montpellier the championship in 2020. Exactly. Yeah. That um, wasn't him heading it in. It was him putting on an assist, having absolutely sold a dummy to one of the best defences in Liga. It. Mm. He's a smart guy. He's way more than a target man. And I just want him to be happy somewhere. So if that's Borussia Dortmund, so be it. My only concern is, firstly, I don't. It's, I doubt that he wants to go. And, mm. you know, by all accounts, he was very close to signing for Everton. And in the end, he didn't because his wife didn't want to leave London. So, I mean, does she want to move to Dortmund? Does it mean that she won't move and he'll be there by himself? So I don't know if he will be any happier there. And also, you'll know better than me, Chris, but I wouldn't have... Is Dortmund's style of play the type that would suit Giroud? <sighs> I'm not sure it is, but I do think he'd get goals. I mean, that's the thing. The Dortmund side is built around Aubameyang's pace mm. and they've got um, Yamalenko's uh, fairly pacey. Before that, they had um, Immobile kind of didn't light up Dortmund. And I think he's a, he's a different type of striker to Giroud, but he offers similar in terms of qualities, and that didn't work. I'm not saying it wouldn't work, but Dortmund's style of play, I think, would benefit more from a pacey centre-forward than mm. it would from, from Giroud. I, That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Just, I just doesn't, it just doesn't feel like a good fit to me. But then if he plays, I mean, you know, who'd have thought Anthony Modeste would have scored all the goals he did at Cologne? So, you yeah, know, but that was, that was at Cologne. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. It's like it might work, but it doesn't seem like the first choice striker style. Mm. 
that's and that's and again thing. he has to play this is the thing i mean you know yeah. as we said it's it's he's if he's going to take the move he needs to know he's going to play and i'd like to see him stay because like you said the jazz i you know love him to bits mm. so i'd rather see him stick around but i think it's probably safe to say there'll be quite a lot of business um going on in in Liga before mm. the end of the window so we'll keep you across the big deals as they uh, as they happen or don't happen of course can we just give you a couple of uh, Coupe de France updates after the penalties? We have yes. one piece of good news, which is that Chambly of National, third tier, have beaten Chateauroux of Ligue 2. But sadly, Canet-Ousillon, the fifth tier, took Caen to extra time to penalties and lost on penalties 4-3. So the Ligue 1 team Caen has just beaten a fifth-tier team on penalties to, to go through in the Coupe de France. It was so close, so close for uh, the the Roussillon side. Um, but yes, they are out, having uh, written their own bit of cup magic, but uh, can't are through to the next round on that one. Okay. And we've got... Um, Coming up, probably playing now. Uh, fourth tier Epinal are at OM, uh, which, according to this, is still nil nil. That will no doubt change uh, fairly quickly, I would imagine. Stay tuned for uh, for more updates there when we know what happens. Um, okay, so we'll we'll finish with a couple of questions, shall we? Just see what's uh, what's going on here. Um, so. Anything, what have we got in the mailbag there, Phil or, or Jez? Well, we one of the questions was about Gus Poyet and our thoughts, which I think we've, we've already covered. Um, so the other one was from Ben Bradshaw, which was actually came in last week. Um, I'm not sure what match he was watching to, uh, to kind of get near this, but uh, hang on. My computer's frozen. Bum, bum, bum. Um, is League uh, still a farmer's league and what has to happen for everyone to change their minds? <laughs> uh, to which my answer would be uh, OLPSG at the weekend. Mm-hmm. You know? So sick and tired of the farmer's league thing. Um, but hey, it's a question. Uh, do, I mean, do either of you have anything to say on it? I I like the fact that he said I don't know if he's being serious or not, but I like the fact that he said still a farmers league, as in you know there's no dispute that it was. That's not the question here, but is it still one? Or well, I don't think it ever was one. Um, and uh, I just yeah, I I'm tired of it as well. well I mean, well, I don't they... know. I don't know if he's a fan of any Premier League team, but it would be hard pushed to find one of the top teams that isn't benefiting a hell of a lot, not just in France, in England, but um, that's benefiting a hell of a lot from players that um, were brought up and developed in that Farmers League. So I just think it's, it's a pathetic comment. I'm just getting a bit tired of it. Well, yeah. I think particularly because we've obviously spent the last... You know, a couple of weeks uh, on and off looking at the, the Coupe de France and doing the previews. And we're talking about eighth tier teams, sixth tier teams, fifth tier teams are getting involved in, um, in, in these games. And you're actually looking at the history and seeing some wonderful, wonderful stories. We uh, published a piece earlier today from Will Schofield about some of the tales of the Coupe de France, which involved... Um, a 32-0 win uh, was one of the games he references, which is just unbelievable when you think about it. Um, but there are so many stories. There are so many interesting things going on. There is this sense of, in a sense, French football wanting the Coupe de France particularly to be a level playing field. So the things they do about that, like inverting the fixtures when you're two divisions apart, making sure... Um, there's no names on the back of the shirts, so the amateur teams aren't kind of don't look bad for the referees and, and things like this. There's a lot of things that are done, and it's the biggest cup competition in the world. And this is, you know, reading these stories has been really, really interesting and kind of reinvigorated a, a sense of excitement because, you know, PSG are going to win the league. I said a 
month or so ago by 15 points i still stand by that i think that seems like how much they're going to win it by that's not interesting but the rest of it is interesting and and that's kind of what we need to focus on i think it's um it's one of the again it the, the the sort of the um the derogatory comment side of things with French football, you could say that about any league as well, couldn't you? This this is the thing, like you know, I think other than Italy, most of the leagues are pretty much done in terms of the t- title winners. Um, every league has its faults, so yeah, uh, let's move on. Have we got any other anything else that's worth uh, addressing this week in terms of the questions? Can I just quickly um, on no, Gus Boyet? <laughs> yeah, um, sure. <laughs> uh, it's taken me a while to find, but um. I was having a conversation with Andrew and with David Hartrick, who's another Brighton fan, um, about Poyet. There's two and of you? To quote, very good. To quote David Hartrick, um, he was good till he disappeared so far up his own arsehole he could comb <laughs> his hair with his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good, yeah. And actually, there's three of you because um, my uh, my other friend Josh Dor, of course, is a bit of a Brighton man. So, your at least other friends, you. so you've just my, got two. I've well, really, I've <laughs> got one. You know, I just pod with you guys. You don't have to call me friends. I, I understand. <laughs> but uh, no, no, it's uh, that's a good quote. I like that. And uh, hello to Gib if you're listening. Uh, I've I've been been following Gib and his in his running fun. It's it's been great fun on, on Instagram. So hello to him. Um, right. So anything else? What what else we got in there Phil anything else that's uh, well, burning no, a hole not really on the questions front just looking forward to next weekend obviously we've got um, PSG versus Montpellier uh, it's a Saturday afternoon game which uh, Montpellier will be looking to make uh, the draw that they did last time um, and uh, it finishes off with Marseille-Monaco on Sunday evening I'm actually going to be at that because I'm going to Marseille for the weekend so oh, whatever that should be <laughs> it's only an hour and a half by train i'm going to see a, a exhibition at uh, museum the museum so i thought i'd take that up but um you've changed leon will be away at bordeaux which might be interesting <laughs> on sunday afternoon it could be absolute chaos who knows um, you so can see leon, a... you can see leon doing a liverpool and sort of coming yeah. the back of <laughs> <laughs> possibly uh, possibly falling over because they do have who are they playing in the Coupe de France Monaco yes right because yes that could be it's all got a little bit confusing on the, on that that scheduling front so we'll we'll have to see how those those pan out but uh, we've got that then Liga and then of course it's the Coupe de France semi-finals next midweek uh, which is Ren PSG and Monaco again Montpellier, so uh, it's going to be quite a busy, a busy couple of weeks for French football as everything pans out in all three competitions before Europe comes back. Good stuff. Yeah, there's there's a few good um, there's a few good fixtures actually next weekend. Looking ahead, Bordeaux Lyon on the Sunday, as you said, Marseille Monaco. Uh, Mets Nice intrigues me just because I'm a, uh, a sadist. Um, PSG Montpellier just because you want to see if PSG will bounce back. Um, even Lille Strasbourg suddenly has got quite an important um, tinge about it, given what uh, given what Lille are going through. Okay, good stuff. All right, um, I tell you what. Um, unless there's any other questions that uh, uh, you really want to answer, I'm just going to ask you both one question um it it sort of slides back to transfers uh you've got you can name one club and one club only and the reasons why who does the most business between now and the end of the window and why jazz (laughs) um no pressure i actually can see psg doing the most business because um they have the I most think they'll money. really try to. Yes, I think they'll really try very hard to offload two or three players before the window ends. And obviously, you know, name, names, however just, name, names. well, <laughs> well, I think Mura is the obvious one. Um, yeah. I think Premier probably, League. Do you think for him? I think he's capable. Yeah. Mm. Um, Can I just ask you? Actually, just sorry to interrupt, but this has been bugging me now. Um, as you know, I'm a, an Arsenal fan. There was a, a little bit of talk that he was being shipped around London recently and he talked to Spurs. I think that's quite 
obvious and uh, rumour has it that, that Arsenal's representatives were having a little look at maybe was there a loan deal to be done uh, classic Arsenal is there something cheap we'll have a look um, <laughs> I've seen a lot of Arsenal fans including some of the people I, I podcast with on other mediums and respect their opinions who've basically said we've sold Theo Walcott why would we bring in the French Theo Walcott you know or the Brazilian Theo Walcott you know he's he's got oh, nothing he's fair. not he's not talented do you think that is because I, I mean I I albeit I watched him at Sao Paulo when he was there and yes there was a little bit of an issue with end product but I think he's better than people seem to be suggesting he is I mean he was the marquee signing for PSG at the time it was only then obviously all the money came in it got swept under the rug but is yeah, he, is he that really was that the marquee bad? signing before they had the money well yeah which but was it, what five years ago yeah so they still, he I mean, it as was... fast as he used to be and fast was the best thing he had so it's mm. it kind of i yeah it it is it, it is harsh but i think that might be fair mm. i'm not sure he's i think he's better than walcott i mean mm. i remember at the time it was a big fight between psg and man united to get him yeah it did feel like a big coup and i remember his first match he didn't really play on the wing he played pretty much as a central midfielder and he was, i thought he was excellent so i'm not mm. sure really that playing on the wing has done him any favours. I don't think it's necessarily his best position. No. But also, I mean, you could say it's maybe his fault, but mm. throughout his time at PSG, I'm not sure he's ever had really consistent runs in the team, which probably doesn't help either. So, again, I think there is a there is a talented player there waiting to come out somewhere. I don't know how old he is now. It might be getting on for a little bit too late, but to compare him to Walcott, I think is very, I mean, to compare me to Walcott, I'd find quite insulting. <laughs> so you're thinking more on Pastore, anybody else PSG wise, or do you see them? I think a couple of youngsters will go out. I think mm. Georges, yeah. I don't know if it's happened yet, but he wants to go. There's actually, there's a couple of excellent, not quite near the first team yet, but Adley and, I think it's Gomez, who's captain mm. maybe the under-19s. They're on their way apparently to, one of them to Juventus, the other one possibly Bayern, I can't remember. And, you know, this could be another case of two very, very talented youngsters leaving PSG because they just don't see any chances for them. Mm. Um, Same with Gonzalo yeah. Geddes as well, isn't it? The permanent deal there. And I, I tell you, I, I do like Los Celso. I know I've been, I keep banging this drum, but what a player he looks. I um, like him, but I don't think that he was I don't think he's a defensive midfielder I thought oh, it was very not, strange no. that he played there instead of Rabiot against Lyon yeah agreed yeah um, uh, without Motta what do you do uh, put a radiator in midfield um, it's got more mobility um, okay same question to you then Phil um, you can't say PSG so <laughs> I, I know I mean the one thing that keeps kind of coming up like a zombie argument is will Tom Lamar go somewhere will Monaco keep selling people I mean they're out of Europe they will have a fight on their hands to get into the Champions League places next season they're fourth at the moment and that's not looking brilliant but if they can switch in what 75-80 million for Lamar will they do it they are you know the transfer lounge as we've discussed in many previous iterations I think it would be a mistake for Lamar to move now, mm. given that he is a stalwart in that team and there's a World Cup coming on, but he might not have a choice. Will the club take the money over the possibility of the Champions League? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an odd one. It's difficult to see because so many transfers in France are free or loans or for 1.5 million for some guy you haven't heard of from Ligue 2. Big transfers are few and far between and it's only the big clubs that can do them and that means there aren't a lot of them. So Monaco Lamar is a possibility but it's one that I hope doesn't happen because I hope he, he stays here and he solidifies his position, he keeps uh, getting his records on track and and sets himself up for a good World Cup. Mm. I do, I do think he'll move. I um, oh I yeah, he'll move. I just hope it's not in the next yeah. week. <laughs> I I mean, obviously, I really 
you know, I really love him at Arsenal. And I still think there's a lot of irons in that particular fire. I just wonder with this sort of Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan trolley dash, does that affect what they might do in the summer? And the idea of Tom Lamar anywhere but, but Arsenal would, would make me a little bit sad. Um, but I said the same about Lacazette and that went well. Uh, so I'm going to keep jinxing it and hope that he'll end up. I could actually see him at somewhere like Atletico Madrid as well, somewhere like that, a marquee signing of Griezmann moves on or... I'd like him in Spain or Germany or Italy. I yeah, Marco think. Royce replacement maybe. Or? Yeah, possibly. See, mm. he. Yeah, I think he fits Dortmund better than Giroud does. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, much much will go on. I think it's also fair to say that in summing up transfers, as I say, before the end of the window, I think there's probably going to be quite a lot of action in terms of the clubs down at the bottom end of Liga. Um, and uh, yeah, sad, sad times uh, down in, in Lorient this week as Majid Waris uh, went to Porto after a Bubacar did it. Now Waris has gone. So I'm really Only sad. Only one goal, though. You yeah, have but 12 yeah. other league scorers. I was looking I this up earlier for a preview. I, I mean, we both love Waris. But you have depth. You're yeah. Fine. Okay. Well, I'll hold you to that when we finish mid-table. Well, uh, I'm just worried about the match tomorrow or this evening, depending on when you are listening to this pod. Uh, when the you know second best, uh, third best uh, attack in League Two meets the best defense in League One, and um, many things happen in mm. that. The Le Comte derby as well, Lorient and. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, his Instagram makes me sick. That man's in ridiculous shape, um, but he doesn't have like yeah. showing. Mm. Anywho, um, right, okay. Well, we'll draw a line there then uh, for this week's pod. Uh, for those of you desperate to know about more league, de, uh, maybe we will try. I think it's one of our uh, resolutions. Are they still a thing in January, mm-hmm. late January? Yeah, we'll give it that. Um, I think we'll, we'll we'll try and dig out a league do expert. I'm sure over the coming days, weeks, months. Um, see if we can maybe now or next month or so would be a good time to do it, given that we're closing uh, in, into that stage of the season where teams start to get into the right position for promotion, etc. So stay tuned for that. Um, keep your questions coming in. Uh, obviously, follow us on all the, the relevant sites where you can get the podcast and you can tweet us and all that jolly good magical stuff um you can follow us all individually if you choose to do so and uh, we'll be back this time next week uh tuesday next week uh, all being well and we might even have rich back with us as well and maybe i can call him jez once again so um until then i shall say uh many thanks to the original and still the best uh mr jez smith thank you jez thank you and of course to phil for uh, pushing the buttons and providing the insight as always so thank you very much phil and enjoy your trip on sunday thank you uh, and i have been your host chris and uh, we will be back as i say this time next week until then enjoy your liga or league action we'll speak to you very soon <laughs>